0: Good morning, Shelby Road, and happy Mother's Day. Isn't the internet a, a wonderful tool? Here we can all be in our own homes and yet worshiping God together. I can see you in my, in my mind's eye, though, this morning. Daisy Scouten's right over there. She's yawning. The Janseks came in late, and they're sitting down right down here in front. Butchcroft and, and Bob Van Loo, they're they're laughing in the back. Marilyn and Sally are trying to get them under control. Brandy Newman's over there in the back. She's turning red right now because I mentioned her name. In fact, Chad, you can check, she might be red in her living room this morning. And I can hear Ruth Ann Feckin laughing all the way from New Era. Oh, it's, it's great to be together. The Internet is a wonderful tool. I'm glad Al Gore invented it years ago. Oh, that's just a joke. Lighten up. He didn't say it, though. It was just taken out of context, like so many other things that President Trump and Governor Whitmer say. By the way, thanks to all you people who post on Facebook, because without all your posts, I would not know what to cook for dinner, or whether to wear a mask, or what I should believe about this pandemic, or what I should think about Governor Whitmer or President Trump, but because you post... I know what to think, and I know what you post is the true, because if you read it on the internet, it must be true. Man, actually, it's kind of hard to know what's true. I thought we might take a quiz this morning, a true or false quiz. You can answer out loud in your homes, and then you can check each other as to whether you got them right or wrong. Are you ready? Here we go. I played the guitar in a church service here at Shelby Road. True or false? I played the guitar one time in a church service here. True. I did. How about this one? I love peacocks. I love peacocks. True or false? False. Interestingly, it is true that peacocks don't lay eggs. That is true. I once won a cherry pie eating contest. True or false? Some of you are still hung up on the peacocks don't lay eggs. Of course peacocks don't lay eggs. Peahens lay eggs. Peacocks don't lay eggs. Roosters don't lay eggs either. I once won a cherry pie eating contest. False. Sounds like it could be true, but it's not true. I built a four-poster bed. True or false? True. I did build a four-poster bed. I'm the only one of my brothers and sisters to have a college degree. I'm the only one of my brothers and sisters to have a college degree. True or false? How many brothers and sisters do you have? Two. Older or younger? Older. It's false. That's false. I never saw a Star Wars movie. You have to think about that one. I never saw a Star Wars movie. True. Oh, that's going to bother some of you. I once ate 27 pieces of Pizza Hut pizza. Yes, at one time. I once ate 27 pieces of Pizza Hut pizza at one time. True or false? True, and I had breadsticks and a salad because I wanted it to be healthy. I once poured lemonade in a glass that was upside down. No, that's false. Jill did that. Sometimes it's hard to know the truth. And the internet doesn't always help us. That's why we're in a new series today called God Wrote a Book. Yes, he did. God wrote a book and it's the truth. How do we know that? Because Jesus said to us. Jesus prayed to God and he said, Sanctify them through your word. Your word is truth. So, Let's talk about the Word of God together, and let's do it by starting in 1 Kings 19. Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Some of you are saying, well, you're going to put it up on the screen, so I don't need my Bible. No, I'm not. You think I'm going to put it on the screen, but I don't know how to put it on the screen. Oh, you're right. Actually, Andrew Cook's going to put it on the screen. But I want you to grab your Bibles anyway, because I want you to check something. You won't be able to do it without your Bible. 1 Kings chapter 19. I remember chapter 18 in 1 Kings. That's Elijah on Mount Carmel. It's kind of a famous story in the Bible. There was a contest on Mount Carmel. It was the 450 prophets of Baal on one side and Elijah on the other side. Remember this? And they each put together a sacrifice. They each built an altar. And then the deal was they were going to pray and ask their God to send fire. They weren't going to light it. They were just going to pray and ask God to send fire down. So the 450 prophets of Baal, they started. And and they started praying and dancing and and they started calling on their God. And it went on and on and on. And Elijah, the whole time, he's, he's trash talking. He says, oh, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's on a phone. Maybe he's in a hot tub. Maybe he went out to eat. But nothing happens. No fire comes. All day long they do this until it's time for the evening sacrifice. And then Elijah says, my turn. Then Elijah makes his altar and he puts the wood on it. and He puts the animal on it. And then he stands back and he prays a simple prayer. He says, God, I know you're really out there, but these people need to see it. So I pray that you will send fire and they will know that there is a true god in Israel. And when he set that altar up, he dug a trench around it. You remember this. He poured barrels of water, he poured 12 barrels of water on it to make sure that this wasn't a trick that he didn't have a big lighter up his sleeve. And he praised this prayer and says, "God send the fire." And from heaven comes this fire. Woof! And it's such an amazing fire that it burns up the sacrifice and burns up the wood and burns up the altar, the stones, and burns up all that water, and burns up the dirt, and it leaves a big burn pit. And the people go crazy. They start shouting, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And it's just this wonderful, wonderful experience. Then there's been a drought, and the rain comes, and everything seems to be looking up. And then we get to First Kings chapter 19. Here we go. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. When everything was looking up and Elijah thought there was going to be this great movement of God, Jezebel sends him a note and says, You're dead. By tomorrow this time, you'll be dead. And Elijah runs. But why? Why does he run? You say, well it was, it was right there in the text, in verse three, it says he was afraid. But does it? Does it say that? If you have a Bible, I want you to look right there. Do you see a little letter or a little number by the by the word afraid? Because in my Bible there is one, there's a little A another Bible of mine, there's a little one right there. And that's there because there's a footnote at the bottom of the page. And down at the bottom of the page in your Bible, does it give a different reading? Because there is a different reading. And the other reading says, he saw. One, it says he was afraid and he ran. And the other one says he saw and he ran. Now it's interesting. The word afraid and the word saw look the same right here in the Hebrew text. It's kind of like if I said to you, I saw a man saw a piece of wood with a saw. I saw, I looked, At a man saw, cut in half, a piece of wood with a saw, a tool. They all look the same, but they mean different things. So right here, which word is used? Is it the word saw, he saw, or the word afraid? Well, I think it's the word saw. I don't think Elijah was afraid of dying. Just a few verses later, we'll read this, he asks God to put him to death. I don't think that's the problem. And if we read this text with the word saw, instead of the word afraid, it changes the story Elijah wasn't afraid he was frustrated he was frustrated because he saw that nothing had changed he thought there was going to be this great movement of the people toward God in fact he thought Ahab and Jezebel were going to turn and move toward God but that didn't happen it was just going to be the same old same old and he was very frustrated and discouraged and disappointed and angry Anybody else feeling like that today? Frustrated and discouraged and impatient and maybe a little angry? It's part of the reason I picked this passage because I think that a lot of us are feeling some of those things. So Elijah saw, he saw what was going on, that nothing was going to change and he ran. Let's pick up the story. Elijah was afraid. Verse 3, or he, was, he saw and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush and sat underneath it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. See, very frustrated. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And God provided food for him right there. And then he travels for 40 days, and then he has a meeting with God. He talks to God, and that's what we need too. When we're frustrated, and discouraged, and impatient, and a little angry, what we need to do is hear the word of God. Let's keep reading the story. Verse 9, it says, Then he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I don't think that's how it was said. Because I don't think God was angry with Elijah. I think it was said with compassion. I think he wanted Elijah to talk to him. He went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. And God said, "What, what are you doing here? Elijah, what's going on? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And God said, That's ridiculous. No, that's not what he said. Because it wasn't ridiculous, actually. It's what Elijah had observed. And God said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Elijah heard it. He pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave and the voice said to him in a gentle whisper, not harsh, what are you doing here? Elijah. And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword and I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, and then he he gives Elijah some things he needs to do. But the things that he tells Elijah to do demonstrate that God agreed with him. The children of Israel were on the wrong path and they actually needed correction. But in this story, the author highlights something and he does it three times. Did you catch it? He says, God was not in the wind, and God was not in the earthquake, and God was not in the fire. There was a wind, it was like a tornado, broke the rocks in pieces, and then there was an earthquake, and I don't think it was a 2.2 on the Richterstale. It was a big, massive earthquake, and then there was a fire, and I think it was a raging wildfire, and God says, in his word, God was not in the wind, and not in the earthquake, and not in the fire, God is not in the dramatic, and in the emotional, and in the experiential, God is in the gentle whisper, and that's the one point I want us to get today, you say, your sermon only has one point, yep, just one point, here it is, the presence of God is tied to the word of God, the presence of God is tied to the Word of God. This text is about how God responds to us in our frustration and impatience and discouragement, like we're feeling right now with this stay-at-home order. How does God respond to us? And, And here's how it is. He comes to us through His Word. The presence of God is tied to the Word of God. So if we want to get to know God, we'll do it through His Word. If we want to hear God speak, it will happen through His Word. If we want to know what God wants, it will happen in His Word. The presence of God is tied to the Word of God. If you want to know God, it will happen as you get into the Word of God. You say, well, Pastor, I think there's lots of people who know the Bible, but they don't know God, perhaps. But there isn't anybody today who knows God who doesn't get into the word of God because the presence of God is tied to the word of God. Now, with that as our backdrop, I want to talk about a passage in the New Testament that we're quite familiar with. It's John chapter 1, to 1-4. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In the beginning was the Word. Now, the Word's Jesus. That's talking about Jesus. You say, How do you know that? Because a little later on it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. Then he says the Word was God. Jesus is God. It says he was there in the beginning with God. Yes, Jesus was always there. Some people think that God the Father came and then God the Son came later, but that's not true. It was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, always there. They're eternal. Jesus is God. Then the text goes on to say, Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. That is, Jesus is the creator God. He made this world. He's God and he made this world. Then verse 4 says, in him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. In him was life. What life? Well, physical life, but spiritual life too. Physical life, all life comes from God. It's one of the reasons we don't believe in evolution, because life always comes from life. It's the law of biogenesis. God gives life and breath to everything, Acts chapter 17 says. But it's not only physical life, it's also spiritual life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God except through me. If we want to have life and a relationship with God, a spiritual life relationship with God, it has to come through Jesus Christ. He's the giver of life. But here's my question. Why is he called the Word? In the beginning was the Word. Why did they call Jesus the Word? Why is he called Logos? Well, here's why because the presence of god is tied to the word of god all through the old testament we read this phrase the word of the lord came to the word of the lord came to abraham the word of the lord came to samuel the word of the lord came to david the word of the lord came to isaiah the word of the lord came to elijah and that phrase means this god came to them When it says the word of the Lord came to Abraham, it means God came to Abraham and spoke to him. When it says the word of the Lord came to David, it means God came to David and he spoke to him. That's because the presence of God is tied to the word of God. So when it says that Jesus came, the word came, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh, it means that God came into our world god stepped into our word world jesus is the living word he's god himself he reveals god to us so jesus said if you've seen me you've seen god if you know me you know god so for quite a period of time everyone was asking the question what would jesus do and that makes sense See, that, that really made sense. He left us an example that we should follow in his steps. And so people said, what would Jesus do? And, and we learned that Jesus was loving and he was compassionate and he always did what was right. And that meant that we should do those those things too. Here's the problem. It was never complete. That is, there weren't enough illustrations to tell us what Jesus Christ would do in each case. Like would Jesus Christ wear a mask right now? Well, unless it was a law, we don't know. Would Jesus Christ cancel church? That's not a law. We're not 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 holding church. Church hasn't been canceled because it's a law in the state of Michigan. Churches are exempt. Would Jesus have canceled the church service or not? And here's the truth. You don't know, and I don't know. But Jesus also left us a book. He's not only the living word, he left us the written word. Romans 10:17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Some of you learned it God, but it's really Christ. Hearing by the word of Christ. Jesus left us a book, and this book is the true message of God, and it tells us who God is, and what God's like, and what God wants. And a better question than what would Jesus do is, what would Jesus say? That's a better question. What would Jesus say? So I ask you this morning, what would Jesus say to his disciples when they're troubled? What would he say to his disciples when they're frustrated and discouraged? What would he say? He would say this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. How do we know he would say that? Because he did say it. He said it to his disciples when they were very troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. He's saying it to us today. Let not your heart be troubled. You've always trusted me. You can trust me now, even in this situation that's going on. Say, well, Pastor McNeil, this, this is a deadly disease. We know that it's already touched our church family. Say, what would, what would Jesus say when we're faced with a deadly disease, whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's cancer? Jesus would say, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will live even if he dies. Yes, it's serious. But we don't face it as people with no hope. We have this great hope. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will live even if he dies. This life isn't it. There's more. What would Jesus say to us? He would say this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He would say, trust me, you don't need to worry. Oh, we've just heard this week that they're going to start rationing meat in the grocery stores, and and people will begin to panic, and Jesus would say to us, don't worry. Therefore, I'm telling you, don't worry about your life, what you eat or drink. Trust me. It's in this passage he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Now, and all that other stuff, I'll take care of it for you. We can trust God. God always has a message for us. What would Jesus say to us? He'd say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Not blessed are the people who stir the pot. That's not what he said. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the people who attack in posts. That's not what he said. He didn't say, blessed are the people who take it to other people in post, to make them think what... That's not what he says. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. What would Jesus say to us today? Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Never will I leave you or forsake you. He's saying to us, we can trust him, and he's given us all these promises. Remember what Pastor Steve taught us last week? We need to know them, use them, and envision them. And this is how we learn to know God. Yes, God is here, and he will come to us through his word, because the presence of God is tied To the Word of God. By the way, the power of God's tied to the Word of God too. You see it, right? If the presence of God is tied to the Word of God, of course His power is tied to the Word of God. He's tied to the Word of God. If we want to know God, we have to get into His Word. So, we have a little extra time right now, some of us. Some of us are stuck at home. We have time. And we ought to get into God's word. Because if we want to know God, we have to get into God's word. If we want to know God's will, we have to get into his word. He will come and speak to us. So we need to read. And if we seek him with our whole heart, if we get into God's word and we listen for his comfort and his challenges and his commands if we listen and obey he will come to us because the presence of God and the power of God are tied to the Word of God must pray father I thank you today that you didn't leave us alone that you didn't leave us without the truth but you gave to us your word and Father, I I pray that you'll remind us all that your presence is tied to your word. And if we really want to know you, if we want to know who you are and what you think and what you want, that we have to get into your word and you will meet us there. Father, I pray that each of us will make this a priority in our lives. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.